Panera now delivers, so you can order good, clean food right to your office or door or porch or backyard or front yard or apartment or dorm or castle or shop or worksite or wherever for lunch, dinner, and everywhere in between. Click the banner to order or visit PaneraBread.com. Participating locations only. Panera. Food as it should be. Welcome to Conversations That Heal. This is your host, Susan Jacoby. I have invited Sherry Botwin, a licensed clinical social worker who has been counseling survivors of trauma, abuse, and eating disorders for over 20 years in a private practice. Sherry has been published and interviewed on several national media outlets for the Cosby trial, the Orlando nightclub shootings, the Paris massacre, and other related stories. To learn more about Sherry, visit her website at sherrybotwin.com. Welcome to Conversations That Heal, Sherry. I'm happy to have you back as our guest. Thanks so much for having me back. You're welcome. I want to talk to you about shame today. Like I've shared on Conversations That Heal, it took me years, if not decades, to understand what shame was. Forget about identifying it as a feeling. When I was able to say, oh, this is my shame, at first it felt awkward and uncomfortable, but the more I was able to recognize it, it, there was a sense of relief because I was able to put a name to feelings that I had carried around my entire life. So important what you just said about naming it. At first, I couldn't even remember the word. I, I couldn't remember how to spell it. It was just like this word that was beyond the stars. It just gradually, like the little stars fell down and made this word shame. What I have learned is that there are many ways that we can all feel shame. I'm wondering if the root of shame feels the same for a young child as it does for adults. The defining difference would be the child isn't aware of it. They can't, a five-year-old can't say, oh, this is my shame. Even a 15-year-old may not be able to say, oh, this is my shame. But the adult can, once they get familiar with it and can recognize it, and they can say, this is my shame, and these are the feelings that are coming up because of the shame. I'm just wondering if the feeling of shame is the same for the child and the adult. It's just the difference is I'll be able to define it. How would you say like, shame shows up in everyday life? A child can feel shame and show shame in ways that are hard to put into words. They may have a feeling of like, oh my gosh, I'm in so much trouble, or um, I can't believe I just did that, or everybody is everybody hates me now, kind of feeling like they they just feel horrible about themselves and want to hide. But they, like you're saying, they won't be able to put that into words. They may like sort of put their head down, look to the floor, turn bright red, look embarrassed. And an adult, when they're experiencing shame, I think it's all of those things. But on top of that, there's feelings of inadequacy. There's feelings of worthlessness. There's many times feelings of wanting to disappear, not in a suicidal way, but more in a if, if there was anything I could do right now to hide or disappear so people didn't have to know or didn't have to see me, 
So it just, what happens is I think as we become adults, the feeling of shame becomes even more crippling and it's a powerful emotion that can really hold adults back. Children, I feel like, will feel shame, but they tend to bounce back or have more resiliency because I think they have ways of distracting or redirecting themselves to get out of their shame. What about the parent who will say, shame on you if you've done something wrong, compounding the feeling of shame, uh, compounding the, the feeling a child would have of, I am bad, which is shame, and on top of living with an alcoholic parent or being abused as a child, how does that compound the feelings of, of the shame of the I am bad scenario? I think what you're describing is how shame starts because it's something that comes from the outside and that we take in. So what I try to work on as a parent and I think what anybody who has an abuse background can try to work on is when you label your kid's behavior as being bad or you're shaming them for something that they've done or a choice that they've made, the, the, the risk of that is that they will internalize that and think of themselves as bad all the way around. I think children have a hard time deciphering out, I made a bad choice versus I'm a bad person. So I think as parents, when we're, we're trying to teach our kids right from wrong, there's ways that we, want, we can do it or we want to do it without shaming. But again, it's easier to say that when you're not in the situation and it's much easier to do that and work on that when you haven't come from your own family history of being made to feel like a bad person or a bad kid. How would that show up in your adult life? The reason I'm asking you this is because I've worked on being able to separate the I am bad scenario. What I've noticed is as a child feeling like I am bad and as an adult bringing that I am bad and using it as a way to structure my entire adult life. On top of the consequences of abuse, depression, PTSD, all, all the other ones that come with it, could can come with it, you've got this foundation of like the shame, which is I am bad. I mean, first I should ask you, is I am bad, is that the root of shame? I mean, how would you... Clinically, how would you describe shame? Clinically, I think what I hear and what I see is more than I am bad, I hear it was all my fault. If only I hadn't done this, if only I hadn't said that, especially in situations where there's abuse, when you have a parent that acts out physically. Like I was sitting with someone the other day who had a dad that had abusive tendencies and she had... She was around 11 years old, and she was telling me a story about how she got caught shoplifting, shoplifting like candy, something, you know, sort of like something that kids, kids will do. What happened as a result of that, the punishment, the consequence was so far out of the realm of what she had done, but because she had stolen something and her father was the one disciplining for a long time, she took that to mean... I deserve this, it was my fault. So one of the things that we worked on the other day was 
saying, well, what's, there's two things that happen. You did something that you're not supposed to do, and there's different ways that parents can react to that. But the, the way her dad chose to react, I mean, he basically pounded her head into the floor, literally, and she's left feeling like, well, that's what I deserved. And not only that, but then after that experience, she feels like no matter what happens, like if I do anything wrong, this is what's going to happen to me. So there's also an element of fear that I hear in my office a lot. So it's both the two things that I I see the most with shame in adults as a result of any type of abuse is it was my fault, I deserved it, and what if I do this, and what if I say that? So the fear of authority, the fear of being able to set boundaries, the fear of getting in trouble, all all of those things that people obviously have to deal with in life become much more difficult for someone who's been shamed for having made a bad choice. How would your clients describe shame and, and how does it show up in their life? And I remember many, many times I would cry a lot when I was young, even in my 30s. Why am I crying? Not like a tear falling down my face, but really crying. Like Oprah says, the ugly cry, if you will. I mean, I didn't understand that. That just kind of fell into this pot of, once again, um, I'm bad. I can see, looking back at that, that that was my shame, crying. How would a client describe shame to you? How does it? How does that shame show up in their life? The way it looks, and the way that we describe it is it's a feeling of despair. Like when you describe those moments where you find yourself just it crying in a way that maybe you're more inconsolable, it's like a gut-wrenching pain that you people will describe feeling. And it's usually, again, based on stuff that's going on in their life now, but the shame is being activated because of stuff that happened to them before. So I think I see that a lot. It's almost like a, a hopeless, how could this, how can this be? I don't want this to be so. But not only that, on top of that, just feeling so bad about who they are as people. The one good thing about this patient that I was just telling you about, the one good thing about this story is that she, at, at, at the young age of around, I think she said she was around 9 or 10, she was able to know as it was happening, this is not normal. What is happening and what my dad is doing to me is not what should happen to a kid when they get caught stealing a pack of gum. So she, and again, I don't think this is very common, but she was able to sort of access some sense of reality, which helped her to then not walk around the rest of her life feeling like what happened to her was okay. The despair that can come with it, the feeling hopeless, the feeling unlovable, worthless, that's something that she struggles with and that many people also describe. And it's one of those things, too, where a lot of times when someone's in the shame, they don't really have words. I think it's one of the worst parts about the feeling is it's such a big feeling that it's hard to actually describe it. It sort of has so many pieces to it. But the ones, again, that I think of the most when I think of people who are in my office and are experiencing shame are despair, fear, hopelessness, worthlessness, um, feeling, you know, unlovable. And, and I just said five words, and I could probably say five more. Um, but those are, the, those are the 
the words or the feelings that most often I sit with when I'm with patients and they're in the shame. I wonder what it would be like for someone who wasn't abused, didn't live with an alcoholic parent, how they would experience shame, how, how that would show up in, a, in an alcohol yeah, yeah. in a normal environment. Yeah, that's a good point because the people don't often understand that everybody has felt shame. It's not only specific to trauma survivors. I think the difference is if you're coming from sort of a quote-unquote normal background, it just might not be as, as devastating or as have as much impact. Because again, shame comes from the outside. We are not born feeling flawed. We're not born feeling damaged. We're made to feel that way because of things that happen to us. Someone might feel shame about like a choice that they made, um, you know, because sometimes I'll talk to people who don't have bad, like huge trauma histories, but will feel shame about, I can't believe I stayed with the guy so long. Why didn't I leave my job sooner? Why did I let that person take advantage of me? So everybody will feel it, but I think, again, the amount that they feel it and how they work through it is different because if they are not coming from a place where they were made to feel shame in different situations, it's going to be a lot easier for them, especially in a therapeutic environment, to work through that and move past it. For them, it's more like a defense mechanism. For people like us who live through trauma and abuse, it's the impact. It's one of the side effects or after effects, and it's, I would say, out of all of the things that people will be left feeling from abuse, it's not necessarily the actual act of the violence that is the worst part, it's the aftermath. It's the feeling at fault and feeling deserving of it. That's actually the worst part. It made a huge difference in my healing to be able to know what a certain feeling, the, the role that it played. This is just like um, like a spider's web. It's so intricately woven together that sometimes I think it's hard to pull it apart to to be able to understand it. I'm wondering how does shame, or maybe it even doesn't, how does it protect us from the grief, from the pain of the the aftermath of of any trauma? Like, what is is there something good that can come out of shame? Except being able to understand the role of it, I would say no. But yes, to be able to understand the role of shame is to be able to understand the part of us that protects ourselves from not wanting to have to know what others have done to us, especially if it's in our families. So I guess I'm sort of answering the question by saying yes and no. In terms of you said about the role of shame, what role does it play? How does it protect us? I think that the way I look at it is it's easier, because this is something I learned in my own recovery years ago, it's easier to sit in despair and feel like a horrible person than to have to know that the people that I trusted, that I thought were different, were hurting me. It's safer, because then it's all about me, and I have some control in that. So that, to me, seems like the biggest defense for many who stay stuck in the shame. It's almost a way to say, it's all true. Everything that everybody said to me, it's true, versus, no, these are things that were told to me or these are things I was made to believe. The fact that it came from a, a, 
a parent, an authority figure, uh, you know, a trusted individual doesn't necessarily mean that it's right or it's correct. And then once I know that, then I have the responsibility where it starts, where it came from, and that would be the person that inflicts the harm. For a lot of, uh, you know, abuse survivors, they don't want to have to do that because then it almost means that the the husband, the parent, the teacher, the church leader, the, these are the people that I love, that I look up to. Now I have to look at them in a different way. And that can stir up a feeling of loss that feels so overwhelming that people would rather, again, feel like somehow it's them. It just seems easier. I'm so glad that you answered that question the way you did. This idea of, of loss, that, when you said that, I immediately thought of abandonment. And, mm-hmm. you know, abandonment, and we could do a show on abandonment. We could do a years-long <laughs> show abandonment, again, using myself. Abandonment is something that it was easier for me to, to abandon myself than mm-hmm. by meaning that, you know, not setting boundaries, not loving myself, not taking care of my needs than it was to recognize that I was abandoned right. by, by a parent. Right. That would show up, well, of course, being abused is, that's your first check, you are being, you're abandoned. Not being protected, that's your second, another check. There's a whole list of them. But I'm just, I'm grateful that, that you explained it that w- the way that you did. So thank you for doing that. Oh, sure, I hope it. I mean, again, it's stuff that I've learned in my own work for years of trying to figure it all out. When I used to be in like the uncovering part of my work or the sort of working through the memories of what I had pushed away, I used to say that I would go into what I called shame attacks. That's how I would call them. And those feelings that came with it, abandonment was a big one. And I know a part of me felt like if I let myself know what is that going to mean in terms of my relationships with the people that hurt me? And then I would actually sit for years and think, but I don't want to make them feel abandoned, but I can't be really in connection with those people as I know what I know. I put me in this big dilemma. And then finally, and again, I think I still have to remind myself of this. Finally, I realized I'm not abandoning anyone if I'm setting limits and, and, and making space and doing what I need to do to protect myself. But that's how you're made to feel. You're made to feel like if you call the people or the person out for their abuse, then you're hurting them. And that's partly, again, comes from the person inflicting the harm. Even if they don't come out and say in those words, if you let yourself know or if you tell you're going to be leaving me behind, they don't necessarily say that, but that's the feeling that you get. Because you know that what they're doing is wrong, and you know that they know that what they're doing is wrong, but you're made to feel responsible for protecting them, which means if you let yourself know, then you're abandoning them, which is so not true. As you were talking about that, I was thinking how much it's all another example of everything that you just said is an illustration of part of the setup and how easy it is to take it on as, you, let's say a child, you created this, you set it up, but it's easier to say, well, I set this up, so that's why this is happening to me, than it is to realize my dad set this up, and this has nothing to do with me. Right, right. 
we need to be able to say to ourselves over and over again, what the what people did to us or what your dad did to you was not about you. It was about him. That's part of re- freeing yourself from shame is putting it where, like putting it back where it came from, taking it out of your body, taking it out of your thoughts and putting it back on the person. If feelings of sadness come up for you, I would encourage you to let yourself cry. When Sherry was saying that, there's this wave of sadness that came over me. It's all about like honoring your, your feelings, honoring yourself. I mean, I definitely agree with you. You know what I would say, too? It's very sad to realize that people, again, who are supposed to be having our best interests at heart can make us feel so, so bad about ourselves. So in letting letting yourself know what the shame is and how it made you feel, it can definitely bring up so much sadness because it's really knowing that something that somebody did to me made me feel this bad or actually made me feel like it was my fault, it's a, a huge thing to come to terms with because it means that all these years or however long you've been grappling with the shame, you've been suffering because then anytime somebody says, I didn't like that you did that, or if you make a mistake, and if you're not perfect, God forbid, that's where you go when you're in the shame. You think everything is your fault and you're a horrible person and in order to be able to like get through life's challenges without having to keep revisiting those awful feelings, if that's part of letting go of the shame, and in it, it is. It's very sad. And like you said, if you feel like you're going to cry because you're getting in touch with that, that's you trying to own the shame and let go of it. That, that's, a, that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. And the other thing I want to point out is I would encourage the listeners maybe listen to this show again to notice how much Sherry and I have in common. And the reason why I'm saying and why I'm pointing this out is how much it emphasizes that you're not alone. Sherry and I have never met, yet to listen to us talk, you know, we're like, oh, yeah, 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 I can relate to that. Oh, I can relate to that. really emphasizes that you are not alone in, in any of your healing and your feelings. I just would encourage you to remember that, especially the times that you are feeling alone. I'm so glad that you said that because I think that that can be hugely healing to sit and talk with other people and know, oh, my gosh, I felt the same way. I thought it was just me. You felt that way too or you go through that too. I definitely think that's hugely important. It's like probably – the most important thing that you can do when you're trying to recover is find ways to connect with other survivors in any way that you can to know you're not alone. So I agree with what you're saying. I feel like we don't know each other. We've never met, but yet we have so much in common because of the story that we bring to the show. We we can identify with so much of what we're telling your listeners Sherry, thank you so much for coming on. I, I think that this, this show, this episode has been very healing. My intention is the listeners will be able to take away what they need to, to heal. I'm, I, I agree with you, and I'm very glad that I had, was given the opportunity to come back. So thanks again for inviting me back. It's been um, a joy to have this conversation with you. 
to learn more about Sherry and her work in the world, again, visit her website at SherryBotwin.com. Thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome. Please contact me at Susan at ConversationsAtHeal.com if I can support you on your healing journey. Leave a comment on Blog Talk or iTunes to support us in reaching listeners in search of living a life of peace and joy. You are a lovable and a capable human being. Panera now delivers. So you can order good, clean food right to your office or door or porch or backyard or front yard or apartment or dorm or castle or shop or worksite or wherever for lunch, dinner, and everywhere in between. Click the banner to order or visit PaneraBread.com. Participating locations only. Panera. Food as it should be.